0: Chapter three. I just want to read uh, one short New Testament passage for you, which you'll find uh, I'll, I'll link as we as we go. So here we go. Um, Matthew chapter four. If you've got your uh, if you've got your Bible and you want to follow with me, uh, turn with me to Matthew four, and then I'll pray, and we'll uh, we'll get into Daniel. we will get into Daniel three. Matthew 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. You are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written in the Psalms, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Fathers, we open up your word. Would you please speak to our hearts? Would you speak with power? Would you speak with conviction? Would you shine the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus into our hearts? Please, would you be with me as I speak, with your people as they hear and as they take in? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Um, let's see if we can get that... Uh, so there's a there's a title for you, the God of faithfulness, the God of faithfulness from Daniel chapter three, and you'll probably figure out from that title you know what hymn you're going to be singing at the end of the service don't you huh okay well we'll we'll, we'll get there now wh- whenever whenever it comes to um Narrative stories like Daniel chapter 3 and the three boys going into the fiery furnace, we do need to be very careful how we apply those stories to ourselves, don't we? So for example, in Genesis chapter 22, you'll know that God says to Abraham, take your son Isaac, go up onto a high mountain and sacrifice him to me. Should we do that? Is that something that we should do? I'm sure as parents, we feel like doing that sometimes with our kids, don't we? But then, you see, you've got to be careful because in in Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, verse 10, coming up there on the screen, it says, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire. So please don't go and sacrifice your kids, even if you want to. So when it comes to this thing, The the story and the three Israelites going into the fire and then having this miraculous rescue from the fire, we do need to be very careful about saying things like, well, God is always going to what? God's always going to rescue us. God's always going to pull us out of the fire because, have a look at this in Hebrews chapter 11, in the context of God's people experiencing savage, extreme persecution, the writer says, Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. So be very careful in how you apply the Old Testament stories. But here is another challenge with Daniel chapter 3. As we figure these guys going into the fire and they make their stand for the Lord, it would be very easy for me to stand here and say, Well, that's what we must be like, right? We should be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We must make our stand when we're told to deny our Lord, stand firm on the gospel, do not bow down, and we should just take the consequences no matter what. But here's the thing how many times do we deny our Lord? How many times do we bow down to the idols of our hearts? How many times do we compromise in ways seen and unseen? So here's my first title for you a faithlessness from us. A faithlessness from us. What do I mean? You see, if you were an exile, and you were reading Daniel chapter 3, and you read about the faithfulness of these three boys before Nebuchadnezzar and going into the fire, if you were reading that as an exile, your heart would have been stung. Why? Because the exiles had been faithless remember the controlling verse almost of the whole book is this, Daniel 7 verse 9. This is later on. Daniel prays, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we're covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far, and in all the countries where you've scattered us because of our what? Because of our unfaithfulness to you. Here's the issue. Not only had the exiles in Babylon prostituted themselves to the idols of their heart before they came into exile, they had done it while they were in exile as well. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Who bowed down to the idol? Who? All the the nations which would have included many, many, many of of the exiles. You see it? You see the exiles reading this. They had bowed down to idols before they went into Babylon. They, many of them, had bowed down to this idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they had bowed down in fear of their lives because they didn't want to die. You remember the first and greatest commandment, don't you? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. The exiles had not done that. They could not do that. You and I have not done that. We cannot do that either. Is it not true, children of God, that even in our flesh, as the Bible calls it, even in our flesh we continue to be idolatrous, don't we? In many different ways, in many ways seen, unseen ways, you and I continue to love the created instead of the creator. How how true is it that so often, children of God, we compromise before the Lord even though we do love Him? You see, the courage of these three men going into the fire, not, not wanting to save their own lives, it's not intended for us to respond by saying, oh, let's be like them. The response is intended to say, is there someone who's been faithful For us, so a faithfulness for us. This is why I read that passage for you in Matthew chapter 4. You don't need to turn there. It will come up on the screen again. Let me just point out verses 8 to 11 for you again. So again, now watch this. The devil took him to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him. And the angels attended to him. The devil comes to Jesus in Nebuchadnezzar-like terms and says what? Bow down and worship me. You see, in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, it's bow down and lose your life. In the case of Jesus, bow down and I will give you all of the kingdom.'" You see what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do, what they exemplify in their stand for faithfulness, it points us to a greater faithfulness of one greater than them, to a a faithfulness that Jesus displayed when confronted by a massive temptation, by a greater enemy, not just once, but on every occasion of his life. These three, they were faithful in the moment, yes, yes, But Jesus gave his every living moment, his every waking moment to worshiping God and God alone. In other words, Jesus is the only one who was able to worship God with all his heart, all his mind, all his soul, and all his strength. It's something that no human being can do. No human being has ever been able to do. It was something the Israelites did not do, could not do. It's something the exiles did not do, could not do. It is something that even we, we cannot love God with all heart, mind, soul, and strength. We do not live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But Jesus did. And he did it for us. Let me put it like this. Child of God. You're sitting here, we're, we're in exile, right? Remember, we're living in Babylon. I always call it Baselon. And, 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 and perhaps in some measure, you have been brave and you, you have been courageous. You have been faithful. But you also know, don't you? You also know how many ways you've compromised. How many times you've bowed down to the idols of your heart. Perhaps, perhaps it's a faithlessness towards money and giving, and generosity. Perhaps it's a a compromise in sexual purity. Perhaps it's a compromise where you haven't spoken up for truth, and righteousness, and justice when you should have. Maybe you haven't taken that opportunity to speak about Christ when the opportunity came. Is it not true that we love entertainment and Facebook more than we do reading God's Word and praying? How many times do we compromise meeting together as God's people because something else is more important? We worry. We are anxious. If you and I were weighed in the scales of loving God with heart, mind, soul, and strength, we would be found wanting. You see, we think that we can serve God. The Israelites did as well, but you can't. That might be a shocking statement to you. Let me show it to you. Look at this. This is absolutely incredible. Joshua 24. Joshua's taken the Israelites into the promised land. He's about to die. It's sort of his last words. And he says, he says to the Israelites in verse 14 of Joshua 24, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. All right, There it is. Serve the Lord. Right? Here's how they respond in verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. What do you think is coming next? Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. You see, if there is one thing that the Israelites should have seen known, if there's one thing the exiles should have seen known, if there's one thing that you and I should see and know, is that we cannot serve the Lord in complete faithfulness. It is not possible. So who does it point us to? Have a look at it. Here's what Romans 3, 21, 22 says. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Here comes verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. But let me give it to you directly from the Greek and you're going to see it. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. We get that. This righteousness is given through what? Through the faithfulness of Jesus to all who believe. In other words, the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a picture of the perfect faithfulness of Jesus to his father in all he did, in all he thought. And God's, Faithfulness in Jesus is a gift to you by faith in his faithfulness. Let me say that again. His faithfulness is a gift to you by faith in his faithfulness. Here's how David Helm put it. And this this is exquisite. This is what we've got to get. David Helm. He says, The faithfulness of Jesus is what he gives his people so that when we fail to be faithful, we can claim forgiveness on the grounds of his faithful life and sin bearing. That's a statement to chew on for the rest of your life. You see it? The faithfulness of Jesus and what He gives His people so that when we fail to be faithful, we claim forgiveness on the grounds of His faithful life and sin-bearing death. Wow. Let me open this up one other way. And, and I, oh, this is incredible. 1 John chapter 2. So John's writing to my dear children, to Christians, and he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, amen, we do sin, right? We have what? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So what John is writing in the context, he's writing to Christians who are being tempted to do what? Love the world, compromise with the world, bow down to the idols of the world, bow down to the idols of their heart. But he says that when you do and when you sin, what does Jesus do? He's an advocate. He's the defense lawyer. It's He's standing next to the Father in heaven and claiming His faithfulness for our unfaithfulness. When we sin, it's like Jesus says to the Father, Father, my faithfulness has covered your child. My faithfulness has covered your son. My faithfulness has covered your daughter. My faithfulness has covered your children who sin. Because of His faithfulness, We can claim forgiveness when we are unfaithful. So there is this faithlessness from us. There is this faithfulness for us in the life of Christ and his death. And then there is a faithfulness to us. To us. Back to Daniel 3. And what do I mean? So there's such a tension in the passage, isn't there? Did you pick up this tension? Nebuchadnezzar calls his leaders, verse 2, and all those living under authority. Verse 7, they come and they bow down and they worship the image. Notice if you've got your Bible in verses 8 to 10, the Babylonian leaders, they dob. They dob Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. They go to the king. Oh, king, there are these three guys and they don't worship you and bow down. Now, we're not told exactly why they were dobbed in, but the reason is obvious, isn't it? Why do you think? Because they were? They were jealous. They were envious. These war captives, these exiles promoted above them to be the rulers of Babylon. And uh, this sort of got up their noses. They wanted those positions. and, and, And now these three little Jews, they sort of outrank them. And it's another little footprint into Jesus, isn't it? Let me show you. Mark chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. Pilate says, says to the Jews, do you, do you want me to release to you Jesus, King of the Jews? That's the question he asked those shouting crowds. And verse 10, knowing that it was out of what? Self-interest, another translation, probably a better one. It was out of envy that the chief priests handed Jesus over to them. The Jewish leaders were envious that people followed Jesus instead of them. And so the Babylonian dobbers become a picture of the Jewish dobbers that dobbed in Christ to be crucified. So back to the tension of the passage. Look at the passage, verse 13. They've been dobbed in. Nebuchadnezzar, he's furious with rage. He calls them in. Let's give Nebuchadnezzar a little bit of credit. He said, I'll give you one more chance. One more opportunity. You can recant one more time. When the music plays, and we get that list again of all the zizzles and flutes and things going on. When the music plays, you bow down or I'm going to fry you. And here's what the boys say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves in this matter before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and He will deliver us from your hand. But even if He does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. As you know, Nebuchadnezzar blows a gasket. He orders that the furnace be made hotter seven times. The pit would have been some sort of sunken, It would have. the fire, it would have been some sort of sunken pit because Nebuchadnezzar is on some sort of high advantage point where he can see what's, what's going on. Uh, the, the soldiers that throw them in, they get fried. And as the story goes, there's someone else in the fire there with them, and they are miraculously saved. I mean, the boys come out with the smelling of the same deodorant that they went in with, right? And to say that this was something of an extraordinary miracle is an understatement. I, uh, I have a ghastly memory of my time in South Africa back in 2001. We had a, we had a man, his name was Peter, and uh, he used to work as, as, as the garden man and looked after the church grounds. And one day, he just didn't come to work. It was very much unlike him, missing a day. Missing two days, three days, and I, I went looking, went looking for him. And I eventually found him in a Burns unit in a local hospital. And I'll never forget the day because I walked into, in, into the hospital and, and he saw me and he got up and he and he was standing at the end of of the of the corridor. And what had what had happened, he had been burnt from the top of his head to his waist completely. He lived in a little shack and some little accident happened and he got burnt. And the burns were so bad and uh, the, the care was so lacking as they just put plastic bags around his hands and some of his wounds. He, he survived but never returned to work. God rescued these boys from the fire. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are pictures of the faithfulness of Christ who was handed over to the fire of judgment on the cross. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're pictures of the Christ who was not spared the fire, who was not spared the judgment, was not spared the wrath, was not spared the pain. So what does the rescue point us to? If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a picture of the faithfulness of Christ, what does the rescue from the fire point us to? The miracle in Daniel points us to a greater miracle, a greater rescue from a greater enemy. When our Lord was handed over to the flares of judgment at the cross for our sin, but was what? Raised. To new life in victory over sin and death and hell. The rescue from the fire is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Have a look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 should be coming up where Paul, in the context of 1 Corinthians 15, he's writing in the context of the resurrection of Jesus. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, for He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now stay with me. What this means is this. If the faithfulness of Jesus is given to us as a gift and God raised Jesus from the dead because of his faithfulness. If we have his faithfulness, what is God going to do for us? Raise us from the dead. Let me put it another way. Because Jesus was faithful to the Father in all He did and died on that cross and, and died on the cross for us. And the Father rose Him from the dead. So if we have that faithfulness of Jesus given to us as a gift, what's the Father going to do? What's the miracle? What's the rescue? We're going to be raised to resurrected life. Put another way. The Father in heaven may or may not provide earthly miracles in our lifetime. There's no promise of that in the Scripture. But what the Father does promise to you and I is this, that if we have the faithfulness of Christ, He will raise us from the dead. And we will enjoy victory over sin and death and hell. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 6.14. He says, By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Because Jesus was faithful to the Father. The Father raised Him from the dead. And to those whom the Father credits with the faithfulness of Jesus, God will raise them from the dead. You see, that's why, that's why Psalm 116:15 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. That's why John says in Revelation, first part, he says, uh, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this down, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now. There's a faithlessness from us, which leads to a faithfulness for us, a faithfulness to us. Fourthly, there's a faithfulness with us, with us. I hope you were asking yourself, who was the fourth person in the fire? Were you asking that? Nebuchadnezzar says it was one like what? One like the sons of God. You know, some Christians would say commentators, maybe some pre-incarnate version of Jesus. Now, that's maybe it's more than likely like an an angel. But here's the point: God was in the fire with them. You see, in an earthly sense, whatever you're going through, no matter how much it burns, no matter how much it pains, no matter how much it feels like you're drowning. Jesus is with us in the fire, in the flood, in the pain. Why? Because you and I are what? United to Jesus by His Spirit. That's what the picture points us to. The angel in the fire is a picture that our God is with us because He has united us to Himself through His Spirit. Let me show it to you in John. John chapter. 14, Jesus says to his disciples before, before the cross, he says, I'll, I, And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, he says that when we come to believe in Christ and we've been credited with the faithfulness of Jesus, Jesus comes to dwell in our hearts that He is with us forever and will never leave us. Take a look at these words in Isaiah 43 verse 2. When you pass through the waters... I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Jesus is always faithfully with his people. So, let me wrap it up on this one. There's a faithful, faithlessness from us which leads to a faithfulness for us, to us, with us. So what about from us then? We do want to be faithful to our Lord, don't we? We do? And that's, that's the heart of the Spirit within you. But is it not wonderful to know this morning, that we can claim the faithfulness of Jesus in our, in our failing. But we do want to hear those words, don't we? Well done, my good and faithful servant. I want you to look up. I want you to look up and see Christ at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The faithful one pleading for us, praying for us advocating for us. As you look inside, you sometimes see maybe often that compromising, that faithlessness. And again, you look up to the one who has been risen from the dead and given us victory. We look back to the cross. We look forward in anticipation, don't we? We look forward to the time When we, because of Jesus, will be raised from the dead. And we look around us then. Then we look around us. How can we be faithful? How can we be faithful as we continue to live as exiles in this Babylon? I want to leave you with two stories. There was a man by the name of Studed, or studded Kennedy. Kennedy was an Anglican minister. He was an Anglican pastor. And he was also called to be a chaplain in World War I. As a chaplain, therefore, he went off to war and he had to leave his family. He had to leave his wife and a little son who was not yet uh, old enough to read but on leaving, uh, he ended up in the trenches of uh, of France, in the midst of a very serious warfare, as you can imagine, and uh, had anticipated that he was going to die. And he wrote a letter for his son, but obviously through through to his wife. And here's what he wrote. I'll no, just quote it. He said, "The first prayer I want my son to learn." To say for me is not, God, keep daddy safe. The first prayer I want my son to learn is, God, make daddy brave. And if he has hard things to do, make him strong to do them. Life and death don't matter, my son. Right and wrong do. Daddy dead is daddy still. But daddy dishonored before God is something too awful for words. I suppose you'd like to put in a bit about safety too, and, and mother would. Well, put that in afterwards, always afterwards, for it doesn't matter nearly as much. And then Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, as he made his trip, he uh, he was very lonely, and he was on his way to face his inevitable hour of excommunication from the Catholic Church in what is famously known as the Diet of Worms. Worms. And uh, they had called Martin Luther in as a, as a gospel-believing man, and he had to appear before King Charles V and all of the Roman prelate, all the princes and all the satraps and all the prefects and all that, And they said they said to Martin Luther, Recant of your faith in Christ, or we will excommunicate you. And here's what he said, quote, My cause shall be commended to the Lord, for he lives and reigns, who preserved the three children in the furnace of the Babylonian king. If he is unwilling to preserve me, my life is a small thing compared with Christ. Expect anything of me except flight or recantation. I will not flee, much less recant. So may the Lord Jesus strengthen me. I'm going to ask the music team to join me up front. a faithlessness from us, a faithfulness for us, to us, with us. Out of that, we want to respond to be faithful. But when all is said and done, God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's stand.